Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I have a very insightful episode for you this week. I had the opportunity to talk with Grant Skeldon. Grant founded Initiative Network in Dallas, Texas, where they train millennials to serve as local missionaries, focusing on loving Jesus, making disciples, and transforming their city. Grant has traveled the world speaking to over 40,000 pastors, parents, and business leaders on the topic of engaging millennials. On this week's episode, Grant and I have a great discussion about millennials in the church, including his insights into the core issue when it comes to ministry in millennials. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that what you hear from Grant might not be what you expect, and I hope that regardless of which generation you are, you'll be challenged as you listen today and seek to honor God in your church and in your ministry. So really be prepared to share this one with your leadership because it really is so powerful. Let's dive into my conversation with Grant Skeldon. Grant, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Great to have you with us. Absolutely. What's up, man? Hey, uh, before we jump into our discussion about millennials and church leadership, could you just share with us a bit about your ministry journey? How did it start and where are you now? It started, well, I mean, March 8, 2006, I gave my life to Christ. It was my first time to go to a specific church. And I really think that ministry started with me. That day was the biggest day of my life was when I got saved. But the second biggest day was um, I actually got discipled uh, two weeks after I got saved by a pastor who let me kind of enter into his world, in uh, his church world, his family, kind of gave me huge responsibilities for being a new believer. Uh, but Actually, a lot of people don't know this, is that I was asked to be a board member on a nonprofit when I was around 19 years old, 20 years old. I was a freshman in college, and that's where I really kind of cut my teeth in learning what does it look like to be a church, uh, not a church, but a, a nonprofit that is for the church. Um, I, I didn't realize the tension that can sometimes be there between nonprofits and churches, as well as a millennial group that's a nonprofit in churches. And so I think that's where God really gave me a heart for working with different churches, different denominations, different parts of the, the city. Uh, but yeah, that's actually where it started was when I was 19. We, <laughs> yeah, we, we learned what it looked like to try to lead a ministry that helped the city through the church. That's awesome. So, and what are you doing currently? Tell us a little bit about your current ministry. Yeah, so now uh, that ministry was called Breakdown Ministries. Uh, people would joke that it was Breakdance Ministries. And awesome. so, the, yeah, the goal is to break down the walls between the church and the local community. And in a lot of ways, the DNA is the same uh, for what I do now is uh, I have a heart for the city of Dallas. Uh, but our, our ministry is a response to really three things. Uh, division. Uh, I felt like there's a lot of division between the church um, by denomination, by uh, location of the city, and but especially by generation. And so to combat division, I feel like a, a saying we say a lot is that the discipleship disrupts division. And so started an organization called Initiative Network that has a program called 72. And in that, we accept 72 young leaders from 40 different churches. And that's just another way to try to unite this next generation of Christian influencers uh, but then the other thing was Dallas. So division in response to Dallas also is I felt like, Jason, I don't know what your favorite movie is, but uh, what's your favorite movie? And I'll tell you mine. 
I like there are a couple. My kids just asked me this the other day too. So and and they don't change so much, but I claim the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay. I claim Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> and The okay. Princess Bride. The Princess Bride as well is oh, one of my man. favorites. Classic. That is a pretty classic one. Uh, so my favorite movie is kind of Curveball. But it truly is, I'm not lying, I'm not just using this <laughs> as a point, is It's a Wonderful Life. Really? I really, really like that movie. I, I remember watching it my senior year in high school. I was in a theater arts class. And I joke that I'm a George Bailey enthusiast because George Bailey, in my opinion, is like a lot of millennials in the sense that he's just a young guy that wants to, he's very passionate, wants to be a part of something bigger than himself, wants to be wants to live a life different than his parents. Um, his dad was over the Bailey alone, and he never really gets to do that. He says he's going to move around the world and build things and all this and that, but he never gets to do that. And instead, he has to compare himself to his friends and family that does. Like Mary goes to college, Sam builds uh, a business out in New York, and even Harry, his brother, goes to become a war hero. And so um, with that, I've noticed the same type of sentiment among young adults where they kind of have this OCD, if you will, of a obsessive comparison disorder where they're constantly looking at other people's lives and young people that are showing their best and then hiding the rest. And what that can cause is, uh, right now, statistically, uh, millennials are on the trajectory, according to Barna, to have 14 jobs by the time they're 40. And so what I see is young people constantly trying to move to a new job or a new city or a new place and what for me, I want to get these 72 young adults in initiative to come together in an eight-month program where we're unified but also try to commit to a city long-term. Like, basically, unless God calls us somewhere else, let's try to be all here. And so we try to disrupt the vision. We try to commit young adults to Dallas. And then also uh, we want to normalize discipleship because I feel like the real problem is not that we have a millennial problem but that we have a discipleship problem. And what I can't do is I can't change what's happened in the past, but I can try to influence my generation so that we can disciple the next generation. Wow, that's awesome. So uh, you're involved in quite a bit. I mean, that's a big vision. Um, How long have you been doing this um, there in Dallas? Just a little over four years in November. Okay, excellent. So you've had these groups of 72 come through. How many times have you had groups cycle through then? Four classes. Awesome. That is so cool, brother. Excellent. Now, there's a lot in what you share because there's a lot in what you do. And I know that you you travel uh, the country. You speak to ministry leaders. You speak to pastors. You talk a lot about this, um, you know, the issues of, of millennial leadership and, you know, how millennials are connecting to the church and connecting in leadership a lot is what you speak about to the church. Mm-hmm. And, and a few things that you touch on, I, I, one big thing is I see you as, as a bridge builder. Uh, because you oftentimes speak to you know different generations and try to help bridge those generations. Can you talk to us a little bit about what what are the greatest challenges um, when you're trying to build a bridge to the millennial generation? I was specifically thinking through the the lens or the vehicle of discipleship. What I've noticed on both ends is, Uh, I think that discipleship hinges on the availability and the vulnerability of the discipler or the older generation, or sometimes I joke the chronologically superior generation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So the, I, we we need if you really want to do real discipleship, not not mentorship, um, not come and meet with me, but true discipleship, come and follow me type of discipleship, where you let someone enter into your world, then you have to become available and you have to be vulnerable to let people see your junk. Uh, but for the for the millennial end or for the young person's end, uh, it requires that they are also hungry and I would say are show honor. And so that's kind of been difficult because my generation, uh, they have a lot of negative connotation or titles, uh, their labels that are kind of thrown their way. But I would say the one that does uh, frustrate me and disappoint me sometimes is the lack of hunger in my generation, because uh, no matter how available or vulnerable a leader is, if a young person isn't hungry, uh, they're just not going to they're not going to learn. Uh, mm-hmm. Jesus was asked uh, a little over 300 different questions in his in his ministry, mostly from the disciples. And so uh, there's not this I often get asked, what does the curriculum look like for discipleship? And I was like, what does Jesus curriculum look like? Because it seemed a lot more relational and the Bible came out of that relationship and following him. Uh, but it also came through the disciples asking questions. And so I've given my full access to my calendar uh, on Gmail to let my disciples see it. And I've found that the ones that are the most hungry are the ones that learn the most and grow the most. And so the hunger piece that is sometimes missing, not all the time, but sometimes missing in millennials makes it difficult. But on the flip side, the vulnerability piece is pretty hard for, I feel like, the older generation. Uh, for the mothers, I found it's hard sometimes for my young girls, uh, friends, I guess, that are in the ministry, to find older, wiser, godly women to disciple them. Because, not because there aren't any, but because the ones that are godly are sometimes embarrassed to let people see their house and maybe that it's dirty or to see their kids, maybe that they're acting up a lot or just to see the real, the good, the bad and the ugly. But the cool thing is that the ones that disciple the best don't have cleaner homes or better families. They just have they're just more vulnerable and say, this is what real life looks like. I mean, I, I I'm writing a book right now for Zondervan on millennials. And and I said that uh, the only difference is the mom that has like the home that's a wreck and all that. She just says, hey, you better know that this is what marriage is like and having kids is like. There's no getting around it, but I'll prepare you for the real world. And, and I'm probably going to ask you to help out around the house. And the younger girls love that. Um, and then for the guys, I found a lot of godly men. Uh, my generation, I can't tell you how many times I've heard young adults say that they've never seen their father cry before. Um, and and I think that's a symbol of this, this idea that you can't fail publicly. Um, and so that's going to really hurt young people from learning uh, from the past mistakes when the generation before them doesn't like to show their mistakes or own their mistakes or ask for forgiveness for their mistakes. And I see that more among men, uh, godly men, especially godly business leaders. And so that that's going to make discipleship hard because Jesus sweat blood and tears and let his his disciples see that. Um, he cried. He wept. He, he didn't. He was 100 percent a godly and he had that macho-ness, but he didn't lose that just like David didn't lose that because he was a poet. Um, but there, that's kind of, I think the thwarted image of what it looks like to be a man and being vulnerable sometimes hurts discipleship also. So from the older generation, you're saying the availability and the vulnerability are the two keys, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you talked a little bit, um, from, from your generation, millennials, that, um, that hunger is one of those things obviously that they need to possess. Otherwise they're not going to get very far with anything, especially growing as, as a Christ follower. Are there mm-hmm. other things that, that you have seen, you know, especially as you've been working with so many um, millennials 
and even you know in traveling the country and, and speaking those types of things, are there other things that you see in the millennials that would be you know something that um, needs to be you know spoken of or that you would say you know this is a key point if we can focus in on this then that will that will help us i would say one thing is ownership maybe or taking responsibility uh for what you can take responsibility for and then i would say honor uh so if it was availability and vulnerability for the older generations it would be hunger and it would be honor for the younger generation mm. like just like a, a, a sincere uh just appreciation for the generation that's gone before us uh that's i don't know that just yeah i don't see that as much and that's i think it's partly because gen our generations are pretty divided in the sense that they don't have a lot of younger people don't have a lot of older friends and it's vice versa and so uh I don't know, man. I, I found that the the most influential twenty somethings that I know in the nation that are believers, uh, if they have a nationally impactful business, ministry, or church, they almost always, in my experience, do always have some older, wiser, godly leaders. And those young guys always honor those guys so much that invested in them, poured into them, connected them, believed in them. I would even say gambled on them. And so wherever you're going to find very honorable young leaders. Uh, Ideally, they will be around older, wiser leaders. I would almost say they can't help themselves but be around them. Uh, uh, something I say a lot that also young leaders need to do better at is I tell young guys, if you're not often the youngest person in the room, then you're just hanging out in the wrong rooms. And I have found that most young people just hang out with young people. <laughs> I liken that to sixth graders asking other sixth graders for dating advice. <laughs> you just you're not gonna get like healthy good advice. It's like Lord of the Flies, where these guys are trying to raise themselves as kids, and Piggy's gonna die at the end of the story. And so that's another one. Just having that honor that leads to hunger, to leads to kind of a desire to diversify your relationships. That's good, Grant. That's excellent. Now, let's um, talk local church, okay? Let's focus in on the local church. We have lots of pastors, obviously, listening. What can pastors do to help nurture more of these um, positive relationships across the, you know, these generational divides? Are there, are there practical things that maybe you've seen in specific churches that pastors could say, hey, yes, you know, here are some first steps that we can take to help develop this? Yeah. Okay. So I just kind of ragged on uh, millennials a little bit, but I'm going to be, my honest answer to this is this is, I get asked that a lot. What's the like number one thing we could do? I'd say the number one place to start is to disciple someone. Mm. And I have not found that to be the norm among pastors in churches. And I could complain all day about, I don't know how we got here to where pastors on staff do not disciple individuals. Um, I would say they impact people. I would say they shepherd people. I would say they genuinely care and pray for people, but they just don't do what Jesus did majority of his ministry. In fact, we really don't even know what he was doing the 30 years before he started making disciples. And so it shows the power and the kind of impact that discipleship makes. But I, I found that a lot of churches have making disciples in their mission statement. But if you ask them in 2017, how many disciples did you make as a pastor um, and your staff and then your elders and your deacons and your whatever, your leadership team, your volunteer team, they don't really measure it. They, they don't have an accountability system for it. They don't even a lot of times have a training and or language for it. Like one of the 
computer science for me is if you put, let's say, 50 people in your church in different rooms and you had them write on a piece of paper, what does the strategic strategy for discipleship look like at our church? Would they write the same thing? Because if they wouldn't, that means that we have not given them language training or equipping around discipleship. Um, And I I, I kind of look at this through the lens of a business world. Like a Nike has a mission statement of making great shoes. Uh, Tesla makes great cars. Um, Apple makes great computers. And Amazon makes everything. Um, (laughs) These guys measure how, I mean, Lord knows you can go to Chick-fil-A and ask them how many chicken sandwiches did you guys make in 2017? They they keep track because they care. Um, We measure what matters most. And the same thing for Tesla. They're not organically just trying to hope that they're making a lot of cars and selling a lot of cars. They keep track of how many make, how many do they sell. 2017, they probably know by the month, by the quarter, by the week. But if you ask again, a church that has making disciples, that's what we make as a church is disciples. How many did you make then? A lot of times there's no measurements. And again, we, we measure what matters most to us. And so Jim Simbola says that we measure butts, budgets, and buildings. And I haven't met a church that doesn't measure their giving. I haven't met a church that doesn't keep track of attendance. But I've met a lot of churches that don't keep track of making disciples. And so, again, going back to this idea, I don't think we have a millennial problem. I think we have a discipleship problem. Millennials aren't the first generation to not get discipled, but they're they're the byproduct of a lack of discipleship for decades, in my opinion. And the culture has shifted so much in this generation, so we can no longer let the uh, culture disciple our youth, or they're going to continue to look less and less like Christ and more and more like the world. Wow, that's some some powerful stuff. And and you know, brother, as as you're saying that, I was thinking back to as you were just sharing kind of your story um, there in the beginning. Um, one of the things when you said, "Hey, you know, I, I came to Christ, and then I was being discipled basically immediately." I mean, there was an active discipling going on. Yeah. Um, so you uh, you got to experience that. So so you had that opportunity to see what that did for you as you were walking and as you were developing as you were you know, figuring out what it meant to follow Christ. Um, yeah. are, are there specific, so discipling is, is a big thing. Yes. And that makes, makes total sense. And I love where you're coming um, from on this. Are there specific ways of going about discipling that are more effective that you've seen are more effective? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a say that every generation I found is a strong, <laughs> a strong pendulum swing from the generation before. So Right before I even say kind of what discipleship looks like for me, let me say I'm a strong one. I'm a strong relational discipleship kind of guy because the generations before are pretty strong curriculum heavy discipleship. And so what I'm not saying is that I'm right. I'm just saying I think it's been so heavy towards this. Like I can't tell you how many times I get asked, "What's the curriculum for discipleship?" And I'm like, "The Bible, if anything. Like let's just read that." But it's not a just information transfer. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that some practical things I tell people, and this actually is helpful uh, to look at it more relationally, like Jesus did it, than um, just a transfer of information for two reasons. One, most people don't disciple, in my experience, business leaders and pastors especially. Uh, the number one excuse I hear is that they are too busy. And they'll say, I just, I am so busy. I've heard this twice myself, just myself asking someone to disciple me when I was younger. I heard two pastors, different churches say, man, in this season, I can't disciple anyone because I'm too busy with ministry, which (laughs) to me is pretty crazy to consider yourself doing ministry if you're not discipling because Jesus 
I mean, if you really think about it, if he didn't disciple, if he did everything we know, like he walked on water, raised people from the dead, raised himself from the dead, exchanged his righteousness for our sinfulness, preached the thousands, did all that, but didn't disciple people for three years, we wouldn't even be here today if he didn't do that ministry. And so I would consider that the ministry. All the other stuff is an overflow from the ministry. Um, even when Jesus had 5,000 people, he he jumped in a boat and left the 5,000 for the 12. And so it just shows the priority of discipleship as one of the key elements of ministry. So I don't, again, you can get me heated up on this idea of you can do ministry without making disciples. I think you can do activity without making disciples, but you can't do ministry. But again, to get a practical I think that the beauty of discipleship as opposed to mentorship is um, mentorship is basically saying, in my opinion, come and meet with me. And it's adding something to your calendar. It's finding a time and it's adding just one more thing in a very, very busy schedule. I can't imagine shepherding so many people. And so pastors are right when they say they are busy. Business leaders are right when they say they are busy. Um, great female leaders are are right if they are busy. But the beauty of uh, discipleship is it's not adding something to your calendar. Um, I, I think it's including someone in your calendar. And so it's it's not um, it's not basically Jesus didn't say, come and meet with me. He said, come and follow me, which meant that the disciple, the millennial, has to switch up and move his calendar, his location in order to follow the that, that leader. And so uh, that's one of the practical ways. And so the second part would be, where do they follow you? And for me, I've kind of put it into four quadrants of our life, and that would be, uh, can they follow you in in their, your work life? Uh, can if you're a pastor, if you're a business leader, if you're in the marketplace or doing, even if you're a stay-at-home mom, can they come and join you at work? Uh, can I have guys that join me all the time in my workplace, or can they second? Can they join you in your family? I think for this generation, there's such a, a fatherless generation that for me. Uh, getting discipled by Kevin when I was 16, right after I got saved, that was so impactful for me to see a godly man, a godly husband, and a godly father. Uh, he became a role model. And so at 16, I told myself, I want to be like him when I grow up. Um, and I think a lot of young people don't have those kind of role models. And just to see a family up close was was so cool to see him not give his leftover energy to his wife and to his kids and to see him still pursue the heart of his kids and, and to not just ask how's your day, but to really want to know them and, and to still be dating his wife, even though they had been married for about a decade at that point. And so that was, man, those were like, <laughs> they say goals in my generation. That was goals <laughs> for me. So I want to be like that guy when I grow up. I, and I wanted to basically follow him as he followed Christ. And so I think that uh, following in the church life, work life, your personal life, your family life. Um, those are the four areas, personal work, church, and family. Every, we all have areas. So again, if you see it that way, then you don't really need to change anything in your calendar or add anything to your calendar. You just need to find someone who's hungry and shows honor enough to want to move their life around to join your life. And lastly, I'll say that the cool thing too is the second excuse I always hear is not Maybe it's not someone who isn't busy. Maybe they aren't busy, but they will say, man, I just don't feel equipped. I usually hear that from people in the pews. They don't feel qualified or gifted enough to disciple someone. And that's usually because they think they need to be a great communicator mm. or Bible scholar. But again, this says, no, I'm not trying to do a Bible study with you necessarily. I just want to see how the Bible informs the way you live in your workplace, in your home, in your church, and among your family, um, and in your personal life. Sorry. Wow, that's that's awesome, brother. And 
it, it actually kind of gives some freedom, I think, to both ministry leaders and, and Christ followers generally in this idea of discipling. Because, because like you, I've bumped into a lot of people who don't feel um, qualified in some, some manner, right? And, totally. and I think that's because, uh, like you mentioned— um, discipleship, for the most part, was this idea of transferring information. It was digging into scripture, you know, the whole you know Bible study and that sort of thing. And we know that just transferring information does not lead to life transformation. So um, yeah. this this idea of discipling, and it, so this this freedom that hey, listen, you're just doing life, you're honoring God with your life, and you're inviting someone to kind of take a peek into what that looks like in all arenas of your life, and it helps them to see just as Christ did with the disciples, right? As he was traveling around, they were just getting an inside glimpse at what it meant to honor God fully with your life through, through yeah. Christ, right? So um, I love that. It's so freeing that discipleship doesn't have to be this, you know, some something that you program, but discipling is just a part of life for a Christ follower. It should be in a discipling relationship. So solid stuff, brother. Thank you. Yeah, I tell, I say a lot of times that Jesus, I'm, I'm asking someone, like I define discipleship as just simply frequently following someone spiritually a step ahead to become more like Jesus. And, and I use that language very intentionally because uh, the frequently following, I like that it's, it's flexible for, I mean, I think ideally at least once a month, but it doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every week, but just for regularly and frequently following someone who is also, I use the word spiritually step ahead intentionally, because I don't want, again, I can't tell you how many people don't feel equipped to disciple. Um, And I would say this is the byproduct of if they don't, if a discipleship culture is not normal among the pastors, then it's not going to be normal among people in the pews. And so it's just not normal. I I, I have literally have had men, godly men say, Grant, you think that I should just go up to some young guy and say, hey, let me disciple you. And he was trying to be funny, and I was like, "Why isn't it kind of sad that that it doesn't sound like it's normal?" Because that's what Jesus literally did. It was <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so I just uh, think I want us to get back there, but I think that there's just so much freedom when when you see it as more relational and you see it as following into my life. And the Bible is going to come up, and I think read the scriptures throughout this process and however long you want to do it for. Uh, but I'm asking for so much less than what Jesus did because. I mean, in reality, Jesus went on like a three-year camping trip with his disciples. I'm just saying frequently follow someone to become more like Christ. That's good. I love that definition. That's excellent. I, I want to shift a little bit. I love I love the discipleship discussion. I think that's just spot on in regard to, you know, just ministry leadership and, and what that looks like in, in really bridging the gaps that we have in, in our generations. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit because I know that you've— um, that you've written on this and you've spoken about this and worked with um, uh, different leaders on this as well. And that is a transitioning church and transitioning leadership, right? So from a, a, a leader who is of an older generation mm-hmm. um, transitioning to a, uh, you know, like millennial leadership. And that there, there are lots of things that, that take place in that. And can you just talk a little bit about what you've seen that, um, our challenges in those transitions, and what what have you seen that is really healthy? So the challenge is, and I'm starting to hear this more and more, and I, I'm actually starting to even think I'm going to feel this too, so I get it, is in response to so much focus on trying to reach millennials, 
is every generation that's not a millennial or at least older than millennials can kind of feel a displacement kind of like where are we supposed to be in the church or what about the music that we like or what about programs that were created for us or even by us or especially what about how we're the ones giving and they're not and we're now we're going to design things for them mostly and so uh, there can be a displacement a lot and what i like again um is discipleship basically uh discipleship redeems every age group um, because you never really become obsolete or irrelevant you actually become more relevant and more necessary because you're for spiritually a step ahead um whether i mean in my church we're just a whole bunch. We are Lord of the Flies Church, man. We're like all twenty somethings, and I'm a I'm an old millennial at my church at twenty eight. Like most of them are all college kids, and so if you're thirty five with like your first or second kid, and they're still like under six or seven, you are like old at my church, and you're everyone's trying to get discipled by them. And those guys, they need some people that would be feeling displaced, I guess. Um, who have had kids for had kids in college or married, and uh, they're looking to be discipled because they're like, guys, this is my my first or second kid. I'm still trying to get. I need to get discipled. And so my point is this: that the the challenge is if if you make church mostly about again butts, budgets, and buildings, which mostly happens on Sunday morning. If you see church as mostly about creating a bigger event on Sunday and using most people's talent and or gifting for that and catering the way we do worship and our message and the style of the building and all that if that's what we're going to do is like the tips and tricks on how to reach millennials then well let's say we 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 miss we make that in like 10 years it's going to be old and out of date because it's going to be the z generation but if you focus on discipleship uh, my opinion discipleship is never going to go out of being relevant and how to reach the next generation i've been saying lately that Billy Graham said that uh, the methods always change, but the message stays the same. And the message has always been go and make disciples. Really, it's been go and multiply from Genesis to to the Great Commission. And so I think that that message and even that method is always going to stay relevant. And so if we want to reach um, every generation until Christ comes back, make that the main thing. And then as the generations uh, kind of change and come together in a church, there's always going to be a different type of role in the discipleship legacy or pipeline for each person. That's good. Now, Grant, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, so correct me if I'm wrong, but what I kind of hear you say is rather than trying to come up with some strategies to reach, you know, somehow reach millennials, because that will be outdated when the next generation, you know, when the Zers come up and all that fun stuff. Um, you're saying focus in on true relational discipleship because that, you know, isn't going to uh, drop off whenever a new generation comes along. Is that is that kind of the gist of what you're going for? Yeah, I'd say 100%. And and that should be a relief. Uh, right, usually right. if I'm speaking to pastors, I say, look, and the funny thing is, man, I look like this guy that would be the tips and tricks on how to reach millennials. I've got tattoos. I wear skinny jeans. I cut my hair real real tight on the sides and have long hair on the top. I wear a jean jacket to everything. It's like typical millennial uniform. <laughs> and so like I look like that guy, but because I got discipled and because I read a lot of older guys, like I love Charles Spurgeon and George Mueller and William Wilberforce and C.T. Studd. Those are like, I like those guys. I, I think that I just saw that all this stuff like, uh, 
if we get tattoos and we get, let's see, you can get Hillsong to be your worship band and you do all this, eventually things change. Like even Hillsong has changed over the decades, uh, the style of worship. They have like three bands now. And so it just shows that the generation, the next generation will always be different. But if you can disciple someone in that next generation, who can disciple someone in that next generation, they'll always be able to contextualize the gospel for the next generation. Excellent, Grant. So if our listeners wanted to connect with you, learn more about your ministry, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so Twitter, Instagram, and um, Twitter, Instagram, and my website. Uh, so Twitter and Instagram are at Grant Skeldon, Grant, S-K-E-L-D-O-N. And then my website, GrantSkeldon.com, as well as my ministry initiative network, which trains young local missionaries in the city of Dallas, uh, and especially in the marketplace and in the arts. That's initiativenetwork.org. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you spending time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.